the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Freedom with Adam Riojas. His goal is not only to inspire you to receive everything God has for you, but to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. And now, here's your host, Adam Riojas. Woohoo! Welcome to today's show. Today we have a powerful guest. Um, you will definitely be blessed when we begin our show. Uh, but don't forget that after our guest, Levi, who is a wounded warrior who's been in the Middle East, um, three times on three different deployments. Uh, and then our latter part, will go through John chapter 12. But I wanted to give a shout out to Scotty, who wrote us from uh, Donovan State Prison. And Scotty, we have you in prayer. We love you. And we are going to be reaching out to you. You'll get a letter from me and also from Tommy, if you're listening. Um, if you're joining us again, this is Freedom with Adam Riojas. And we thank you for being here. Without further ado, I want to introduce to you Levi, Levi, I'm honored to have you on the show, and it's so April because it's uh, Veterans Day weekend. And so with that, um, just tell me a little bit about yourself and so the public and those that are listening get to know you personally. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me on the show, and happy Veterans Day to uh, all those out there. And, uh, yeah, I'm a veteran myself. I did 13 and a half years in the Marine Corps. I... Um, did three combat tours, uh, went in the invasion of Iraq in 2003. I was in the Korangal of Afghanistan, 0506, and then Haditha City, Iraq, 0607. And um, I'm originally from Wisconsin, and I ended up in California because I am a wounded warrior. So I got sent over here in, um, to California to live here. And, in fact, me and you have known each other for over 10 years now, yeah? We have. Yeah. So yeah. this guy right here, Adam, he was my mentor when, when uh, I was uh, uh, still in the Marine Corps and uh, very new to the ministry and very aggressive. <laughs> very aggressive. <laughs> so let me ask you a, a couple of questions as we, uh, as we progress in the show. I'm, again, I'm honored that you're here today, and it, uh, it is a, a blessing that I was part of those early years when you were still— you know, um, I'm going to be blunt and a little messed up still because of <laughs> what you went through. And I know the the big thing was uh, uh, that happened to you is you got uh, uh, blown up in a in a, an LV, which is a little bigger than a than a than a the uh, LVS truck. Yeah. So so uh, basically, what happened was is um, I got in country in September of 2006. Uh, we were doing a patrol through Haditha City. And um, as we were doing the patrol and we were uh, re- getting ready to return back to the Haditha Dam area, uh, anti-tank mine blew up my vehicle. It uh, blew the engine block out, uh, blew one of the tires out, and blew me through the door. Uh, took my driver out through the door, and um, my driver, he survived. He took shrapnel from his heel to his butt cheek, and um, my arm, my right arm got ripped out of the socket, inverted, and then I uh, have scars inside my mouth from shrapnel, and uh, I had pieces of shrapnel in my hand. So, um, and it, it took some time to recover because uh, when when I had my arm like that, I couldn't even lift up a one pound weight. So I had to basically rebuild the shoulder and the joints and everything, the, the ligaments because they got stretched out. It's the best way to describe it. So that must have been a really hard thing to deal with because. From knowing you, what I understand, what was it four people that died in this? Well, it, the four people died over the time. The guy survived. The LVS is a big vehicle, but it has a big trailer on the back. And as time went on in combat, um, there were four guys that I knew that over the period of time had died. And they all died from uh, from IEDs. And um, just that time had, had messed with me, and it, it had really uh, messed with my mind. And and I think uh, when you look at the military, there there are people who who function different. So some people, 
when they get back from war and they're with their unit and they're they're still attached to their units, they're doing okay. And they're like, these are my boys. We're good. Some of them, when they leave that unit, they start to uh, struggle. Some, while they're in the Corps or the Army or any branch service, they're like, hey, I'm doing good. I'm in the still in the military. And then when they get out, they suffer. Um, there, so there's different levels of it. And uh, for me, I went from uh, a combat zone with these guys to recruiting duty. And when I got to recruiting duty, it was very difficult because the stress level of recruiting on top of that, you're working sometimes 10-hour days. And then at the same time, I was having shrapnel that was shifting my teeth around and coming out of my gums. And so it was it was rough. <laughs> so I, I know you were married. Still uh, am. <laughs> still are. Praise <laughs> yeah. the Lord. 23 years. Amen to that. Yeah. And you have an amazing wife because— In fact, I told that to a vet one time, and he goes, the same woman? (laughs) (laughs) No, it makes sense because military people have a high rate of divorce. Yeah, it's very true. Because of what happens and what you see, especially during a time of war. You know, I was very honored to to sit with you for for nearly a year and a half and just hearing your story. Um, And I don't know how tough it is to talk about it now, but— I know you eventually just got messed up yeah. and you were dealing with a lot and, and you left home. Yeah. So my, my testimony, my story is this, that so after the war and I got on recruiting cause I thought, Oh, I'm going to go recruiting and it's going to be good. And you know, it's good for my career. And I, I started have, like I said, having problems and I found myself uh, drinking a lot more. I started uh, drinking almost every weekend and then it got more and more and, and alcohol became uh you know, one of the biggest things that just destroying everything. And I just felt like a monster and I ran from my family and I found myself living in this house and uh, practicing witchcraft, got involved in witchcraft, got messed up in witchcraft. And um, for six months, my wife never stopped looking for me. I disappeared and uh, I was just a complete mess. And the reality is I should have been, I should have been kicked out of the Marine Corps or I should be divorced or dead or homeless. And um, six months, my wife's looking for me. And one day she finds me in this house and she's like, um, you need to come home. And I was kicking and screaming and throwing things. And my wife's like, this isn't my husband. He's gone. And uh, so she goes to see my mom because my mom at the time lived in West Dallas, Wisconsin. And she told my mom, she's like, I lost my husband. He's gone. And when she came to see me, she handed me this letter at 4.30 in the afternoon. And um, at midnight, I started reading it. And I felt the Holy Spirit start talking to me saying, you need to get out of here. You need to go home. And when I was trying to get out of there, um, it, it was crazy. And I finally packed my stuff up and I and I started heading home. And my wife had told me afterwards, I didn't know this till about maybe two years ago. My wife said that every every night she would leave the back door unlocked, hoping I'd come home. And that night she put the chain lock up and she walked upstairs and she heard it very clear from the Lord, take the chain lock off. Wow. And five minutes later I walked through. Wow. And so when I, when I came home, I said, I said to my wife, can I come home? And it wasn't like, yeah, you sleep on the couch. We'll talk in the morning. She bathed me, she fed me and she put me to bed in our bed and it broke uh, Satan's yoke in my life. And Jesus crashed into my darkness and set me free. And I never known love and mercy like that. And I never known grace like that. And I remember, uh, you know, my my boss at the time, the major, he was like, man, we need to send Moran to Wounded Warriors. He's going he's gonna to kill himself. This is what's going to happen. He's going to shoot himself in the head. And um, so they sent me to California to Wounded Warriors here at Camp Pendleton. And um, I remember my wife was like, we were sitting in, uh, out in base housing. We were walking through and she goes, man, why didn't you just come home? Why didn't you just get out of there? And I told her, you don't know how many times I tell myself, get to your truck, you could be free, and demons would pin me. You know, just get to the door, and demons would grab me. And it wasn't until she was the example of what Jesus did for us. She humiliated herself so I could be free. And it was the example of Christ. So since then, you know, Jesus has set me free. And then I got to Wounded Warriors, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I thought, okay, I'm going to get better and go back to a Victor unit, which is a grunt unit. And I was a radio operator and just do what I do as a radio operator for them. Right. And, and the Lord's like, no, you got another plan. And, and then I'll, I'll be a park ranger. And so I started doing this internship to a park rangers up at Cleveland national forest by uh, Lake Elsinore. And um, I was up there 60 days and my wife would pack me a lunch and I'd drive all over the, 
the park and work on trails and work on different things. And I never even heard of Calvary Chapel, first of all. And um, and I would drive and I would hear this guy with this accent, heavy Hispanic accent. It was Raul Reese. And I was like, man, like, like who is this guy? And he knew the Bible. And, I, and another guy who, the way he talked, was I was like, man, who is this? And it was Chuck Smith. And I started just absorbing everything off the radio. And, and I would come home and tell my wife. And my wife started seeing this change in me. And I remember being up at that park. And I was looking out over Lake Elsinore, and the, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And he said to me, I did not call you for this. I called you for people. You go preach the gospel. I'll take care of my creation. And, and I want to share this part, too, for anyone who struggled in this. Right when that happened, the enemy came about and was like, look, man, you're going to church. You're with your family. You don't need to get involved in ministry. You just, just relax at church. I said, no, I'm going to. I'm going to obey the Lord. And then it turned and it was like, I'll, I'll let everybody know the garbage you were in. I was like, I don't care. I'll let everybody know the garbage I'm in because Jesus set me free. And I got involved. I, I started with gang ministry with Roy. Remember Roy? That's where I saw you. Yeah. And uh, I was at Bomberola Park preaching. And Adam, Adam, who's the host, saw me and he's like, dude, that dude loves Jesus, but he's so out of place. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so... I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was you. I didn't know who it was. And, and then Roy's like, hey, let's go, to, let's go to the Calvary Chapel. And there's this guy named Adam. He's doing a prayer night. And so I said, sure, let's go down there. And then I told you my story. And, and you were just like, well, I don't normally do this, but I feel it's the Holy Spirit. Do you want to lead the military ministry? And go home, talk to your wife, come back. And, and you know, we'll talk to the time it was Mike Reed. Mm-hmm. And, and so from there, I became a pastor. And then, uh, you know, you walked me through it. And... That's amazing. All the roughness. You know, let me ask you a question. I so so that the audience and those that are listening now are clear because you have people that are attorneys, firemen, policemen, people in prison that are listening. Um, so you were not a Christian when you were in the Middle East. I had a background of my family, but it was one of these kids who grew up or was like. Okay, the Bible's cool. All that Bible story's cool. But yo, that girl's looking pretty good too, you know? So and you didn't have a relationship with Jesus? No, it was, it was basically, I'm good because, you know, my parents are good. So I did hear you say that when you saw your wife do this for you. Is that, was that an instant thing when you said, okay, Jesus, you're real. You exist. Come into my heart. Is that kind of how, how it happened? Or when, when I came back and my wife had put me in the bathtub and just started like, like cleaning all the garbage off of me. Um, I remember sitting there and just going, I don't want to live like this anymore, Lord. I don't want to run. I don't want to live like this. So you got to do something with me because I can't do it anymore. And then I just felt a radical change happen. And my wife saw something happen. And she, my wife said that night she saw something evil leave that night. So it was at that moment where you totally accepted what Jesus had done on the cross for you. Absolutely. That's amazing. So let me ask you a question. We, we talked a little bit about, you know, there's a lot of military people that somehow end up in war or in training and, and somehow they get these crazy thoughts where the enemy says, take your life. Because mm-hmm. that's not from God. No, it's and, not. And it isn't really coming from us. It's, it's a voice that we hear. Were you ever there before? Oh, yeah. I've been there. It's such a dark place. Let me put it to you like this. You end up in such a dark, dark place that you feel like even Jesus can't help you. And it's the enemy lies to you that way. And it makes you believe that there's no hope. So what stopped you um, from taking your life? Uh, The day that I was just, I didn't care anymore. Um, I remember my wife knew something was wrong. And she came home. And she saw me on the couch, and she basically was like, that's it. I'm taking you down to Great Lakes uh, Naval Base because I, I was in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. And, um, and she called uh, my XO, who was the captain, and he's like, I'm taking him down to mental health, and whatever happens, happens. And so she knew something was really bad. But to be, to be straight uh, blunt about the whole thing, I'd rather drink – sewer water than ever go back to that. Amen. Hey, if you just tuned in, you are here with Freedom with Adam Riojas. 
And we are currently interviewing a wounded warrior on this magnificent weekend when we honor our veterans. Um, and it's Levi. And the man is incredible. So um, let me ask you a question. If someone right now is contemplating suicide and they're in the military or outside of the military, because it isn't just in the military where people decide to take their life, what would you say to them that could make a difference in their life? Well, first of all, I want everyone to know that 22 military members a day kill themselves. Wow. 22 members a day. And they, it's, you feel trapped. You feel like you can't say anything. You feel like no one understands. You don't know what to do. And so I want to encourage everyone, if you feel that way, you know, reach out and say something. Tell, tell, like, if you're at a church, tell your pastor you're hurting. If you're at the VA, tell your VA rep you're hurting. Say something to somebody and say, hey, I just, I, I can't live like this anymore and I don't know what to do with myself. And, and be blunt about it. If you're a family member noticing a weird trend where all of a sudden the person has lost interest in, you know, regular life, has lost interest in the things they like, or their communication is getting weak, ask them straight up, like, hey, what's going on? You want to reach out to them because the last thing you want is to know something's wrong and you never said anything, and then they they kill themselves. And the, and the thing that happens with suicide is the family or the friends are left with a lot of questions. How come they didn't reach out? Why didn't they say anything? Did they not trust me enough? You know, there's all these unanswered questions, and then... On top of that, you know, I know of a case right now where this happened. A friend of mine committed suicide, and the wife goes through um, grief and anger because she's so sad he's gone, but she's so angry he did it. Wow. So uh, that's tough. Mm -hmm. You're now a pastor. Um, It's an amazing thing. Um, You're at a place called The Anchor in Oceanside, California. Tell me a little bit about The Anchor. Well, The Anchor was founded in 1951. It was four men who um, set up The Anchor to help the Marines that were going to the Korean War. And they wanted to reach them with the gospel. And through every war, they The Anchor has been there. It started in a theater across the street from where we are now on Coast Highway. And that theater is no longer there. And now we've been in the building we are now since 1989, 1990. And so the anchor, its design is to be like a USO, if you're familiar with the military term USO. It's like a, a spot you can hang out. But it's we do three types of sandwiches, six types of shakes. Uh, there's pool, there's darts, there's video game systems, there's a theater room. We do a Bible study every Friday night. And, um, you know, we do dinner as well every Friday and people can come and go, and it's just a, a safe haven to relax and and just be yourself. And that's the design. And and the thing is, when I when I took it over, one of the things I implemented because a lot of people think military ministry, they think everyone's all like rah rah, and they're all in there running around, right? <laughs> and so I I made the rules of no rank. So you leave your rank at the door. You don't throw it around in there because we have everyone from an E one to an O six hanging out. Um, there's your first name, your nickname. So you get used to that. Um, no alcohol because it's alcohol-free place. Uh, for some reason, Marines are always carrying alcohol in their backpack, and it causes trouble. And then no devil dogging, which I guess that term is not as famous anymore in the Marine Corps, but it was when I was in. And that's where all, like, you, you get yelled at for anything. So you're at the store. You just hear, hey, devil dog. And you're like, he's not talking to me, is he? And it's like, did you shave? Was your hair cut? You know, all that stuff. So it's, it allows for each individual just to relax and just take it easy while they're in there. And then through sharing food and, and just video games and shooting pool. And we can talk about life. We can talk about what's going on and then eventually talk about the Bible and, and people can come to know Christ. So what are some of the days that you're open and what are the times? So we're open. Our main days are open our, our Friday and Saturday. Uh, we open at three thirty on Friday and uh, we have the Bible study that day. And then we open one thirty on Saturday, and we stay open until 9, and then last call for foods at 8.20. Those are our main days because those are the main days the military's off. Uh, when COVID happened, it kind of messed some things up for us because we used to be open Sundays, and we're not open Sunday anymore. But those are our big two days. And then we um, work a bit with some of the people on base to get them food and, and just provide for their barbecues and stuff like that. So 
what's the address there? Say I'm in the military and I want to come and, and I just want to hang out with some, some people that are headed in the right direction. Uh, the address is 323 North Coast Highway in Oceanside, California. Cool. That's awesome. I, I know people want to, to be here. So let me ask you a couple more questions. You know, our world's in chaos right now. And I know that you see everything. You've been all over the world being in the military. Um, how do you see our, our country right now and where we stand globally? Okay. It's a good question. So let me put it to you like this. I, I, this is the best way I can put it, and this is how I address it to a lot of the, the military active duty. So one of the biggest things that really frustrated the military was the collapse of Afghanistan because they put all the blood, sweat, and tears into Afghanistan, and then it just and toppled, Total right? Total collapse. And so if you look at it from a viewpoint of politics or just the regular world, you're like, how can this be? How did this happen? This is crazy. But if you look at it from a biblical perspective, you see very clearly, and the best way I explained it to somebody is like this. Picture you're back in the day, the time of Jesus' birth. You just got your family to a farmland away from where you are, and it's not like you have a car, so you've been traveling by foot or by horse or camel, depending on how much money you have. And this guy named Caesar goes, I have a great idea. Let's have everybody go back to their hometown so we could do a census. And you just established your farm. And you're like, who is this loco, right? This crazy guy. And then, but it's God in motion putting it that Mary and Joseph would be in Bethlehem for the birth of the Messiah, that Jesus is there. Well, the collapse of Afghanistan, when you watch it, it sent in motion because when it collapsed, not only did it take the superpower away from the United States, it elevated another superpower in our world who is now moving into other countries and it caused Russia to think they can do things. And then it caused Russia to make an alliance with Iran and Turkey. And now there's a North African alliance. And on top of that, you have the peace treaty going down in Israel. Okay. And the United States is just protesting and protesting and protesting. And now the Saudis are involved in the peace treaty. And so what we're looking at in this whole thing is we are looking at the Magog War, what they keep coming, World War III is coming, or a big war. It's the Magog War. It's, it's what Ezekiel 38 says. Being set up. Yeah. And then on top of that, now Benjamin Netanyahu is back. He's back. He's back, right? And it's like, whoa, he's back. So when I look at that and I look at what's happening in the world and like Brazil, the government just collapsed and wow. went socialist. A lot of governments are going socialist. Honduras went socialist, which my brother-in-law is down there and he's just horrible down there. There's like hardly any food and it's really bad. Wow. And so now, Zechariah 12. Jerusalem becomes the stumbling block and then for the nations. And so we're seeing biblical prophecy come in. And so now that's, that's the way I look at it. And I remember sitting at lunch with a friend. He's a lieutenant. Uh, he's a major. He was about to be lieutenant colonel. And he's in the intel community. And he was talking about war is imminent with the Middle East and Israel. And I asked him, I said, uh, hey, can I guess the staging area you guys have been planning and looking at? He goes, sure, sure, sure. And I go, Saudi Arabia. And he goes, how do you know? And I go, it's in the Bible. He goes, what do you mean? I go, Ezekiel 38, Sheben Dedan. He goes, it's, it's Saudi Arabia. They stand off and, and they just protest. And I said, if you look very carefully, Tarshish, which is Spain, England area, mm-hmm. they say, and then we're the young lions supposedly. Right. Protest. And look what happened with Ukraine. Did we help? No, we protested. We, oh, let's make the colors and everything and of the flag. And the point is, is that our world is moving so quickly that not only uh, is Israel at the forefront Russia's power, which eventually Russia will put its sights on the Middle East. That's what it will do. We're also seeing that the world is primed for a savior, and they're going to accept the Antichrist. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty interesting when I see um, what's happening in South America. Because there's a lot of countries that started with Venezuela collapsing, mm-hmm. and it was the third richest country in the world. At one time, it was the richest Latin country in the world, and it nobody thought it could be in the place it's at. And the way I, I kind of view it is that, and they're getting set up for, because everything, everything that the communist regime started and um, collapsed, mm-hmm. and, and the people will pay for pay a big price. But it's almost like they're going to be ready for a savior, for someone to come to save them after all the countries are collapsed, and it's headed in that direction. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting that that you see that. You know, I I believe you're you're a very good teacher, and and so do you often teach at the anchor? Yeah, we uh, we're teaching right now through the Book of Genesis. 
Uh, in fact, uh, we've been in Genesis since October, October of uh, 2019. And uh, the goal is to give them the depth of the understanding of it, plus with the Hebrews there, and that they can apply it to their life and know how to walk with Christ. That's awesome. So, again, how do people get a hold of you and the anchor? Can Is there a phone number they can call? And Yeah. What's the phone number? Okay, so if you want to get a hold of me directly— this is the number. It's 808-782-6294. That's my cell phone. You can call it. I don't have a problem with people calling my cell phone. So, again, 808-782-6294. What's the address there again? Uh, 323 North Coast Highway and Oceanside, California. So I did hear you say that. If people come, they will get like free meals and they can get Bibles and they can get a lot of really cool stuff. Yes. Um, it, what happens if you're not in the military? Can somebody still step in? So it's designed for any active duty veteran reservist or family. And uh, you can come if you're not and you come there and you're like, this is really cool. Then the next thing I would talk to you about is about volunteering and to see how you could volunteer and do you have a heart to serve the military? Because The military is one of the last mission fields to reach. Awesome. Thank you, Levi. I want you to hang out so that you could uh, close us off and pray in the latter part of the show. Levi, we love you. We love all of you who are listening. God bless you and stay tuned for the latter part of the show. The Oceanside Pier is a sacred place, blessed with ocean views, the strand, good people, and good times. You'll find all those things and more at the Bistro at the Pier. Locally owned and operated, the Bistro at the Pier offers delicious food options and a full slate of crafted coffee drinks, including Italy's own Cafe Vergnano, sourced from Italy's finest coffee beans. So whether you're craving an acai bowl or an espresso, the Bistro at the Pier is waiting for you. Head on down or visit them online at bistroatthepier.org. Freedom Generation Higher Education is a faith-based alternative education option that values constitutional rights and medical freedom, serving ages 3 through 6th grade. Hosted by At the Cross Church in Oceanside, they offer in-person classes and electives Tuesday through Thursday, along with a classical conversation community offering foundations and essentials on Mondays. And they're now accepting applications for fall 2022. Visit them online at atthecrossoceanside.com. That's atthecrossoceanside.com. Welcome back to Freedom with Adam Riojas. We just had an incredible guest today, and he's going to hang out to closest out in prayer, but that's Levi. He's from the Anchor in Oceanside, California. He gave out his information uh, in order to get uh, uh, a hold of him, and I encourage you to show up, especially if you are in the military, and if you just want to serve, please contact Levi. But as we begin the latter part of the show, um, which I think is – the most incredible part of this is uh, we're going through John and some of you have been with us on this journey. And I hope that your ears and your heart are ready to receive as we move forward. And John chapter 12 starts off like this, but I want you to remember that in the previous chapter, we saw how Jesus had done this powerful, powerful miracle and had, Uh, literally resurrected somebody from the dead. His name was Lazarus, and and it was so powerful. And and let me tell you why, because the Jews always, um, in order to pronounce someone dead, had to be dead three days. And Jesus superseded that by being in the grave four days, um, the man that he had resurrected, which was Lazarus. So, Just keep that in mind as we begin chapter 12, and this is literally at the end of the last week of Jesus' life. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spinkered, very costly, and anointed 
the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the order of ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So we obviously can see here that this man was a thief from get-go, that he had never had a true encounter with Jesus. His ministry was really that of hanging out, of being provided for, and he saw that Jesus could do this. There was probably some grandeur uh, thoughts in his mind that Jesus was going to be that king that eventually destroyed everything and and literally would begin to reign as the king that he was. And perhaps that was part of what was going on in his mind. But this clearly shows us that he was a thief from get-go. From get-go, this man was a thief. Now, as we read this story, it, it, it really points to uh, Judas, who eventually totally betrayed him. But that mindset of, of those people, of his disciples, was really the same. They were all kind of thinking, why would he do this? I mean, remember, these were the people that followed him. These were the people that were faithful to his ministry. But in Matthew 26, 6 to 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus was in in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, they came on to a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head. Now, John tells us, um, and we'll read when we get there, um, as he sat at meat or at the festival eating food with his disciples, when his disciples saw that they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this way? So here we see that it was all the disciples. It wasn't just Judas. They were all thinking that. What kind of waste is this? We could have used the money for something else. For this ointment had been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you this woman? For she has done a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but you have not always me. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Barely I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done told for a memorial of her. So it's interesting that it wasn't just Judas, it was all the disciples. John just points out to Judas and what he did, but they were all behind it. They were all, they all thought that this was a waste of money. And as we continue to read this story, um, we know that Mary washed his feet, but Matthew also tells us that she also cleansed his hair with this ointment that she had, literally preparing Jesus for his burial. She was a believer. She followed Jesus and she totally understood what Jesus was all about in his ministry. <clears throat> when Jesus in verse seven, let her alone against the day of my bearing, has she kept this for the poor always you have with you, but me, you have not always much of the Jews therefore knew <clears throat> that he was there and they came not for Jesus sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. So it's interesting. Some were there to see Jesus, but others were there to see Lazarus. They wanted to see this miracle, this miracle man whom Jesus had raised from the dead after being dead four days. If you remember last week, this is my personal belief. He called him by name and he called him by name because that he had said, Come out from the grave. I believe at that point, all of the dead would have came out. 
He was very specific in calling Lazarus to come out. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. So at this point, not only did they want to kill Jesus, but they knew Lazarus was now someone they wanted to go after because 11 says, 11 says this, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. See, they had this jealousy within them, these religious leaders. They knew that this great miracle that Jesus had done had put a lot of attention on him, and people were beginning to follow him, and they wanted him gone. They wanted him dead. They remember the religious leaders were the richest, some of the richest folks at that time. They had everything, prestige, and people looked at them, and they were in danger of losing their positions. You may be there now where you feel like that, where you feel like if I come to Jesus, I'm going to lose everything, and, and you may. But when you follow Jesus, you follow him because you're done with everything. You want someone in your life that can give you direction. You want someone in your life that can restore you. And that's what Jesus can do for you. Listen, I know that religious leaders are religious leaders and are hypocritical sometimes, but we're not speaking about religion today. We're speaking about having a personal relationship with Jesus. So as we continue this story um, in John 12, 12, it says this, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. A fulfillment of Psalms 118, 25 and 26. Jesus is now coming in as the king. Jesus is now proclaiming that he is no doubt the Savior by fulfilling these scriptures. In Luke, we get a different perspective when we read Luke um, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, if you're listening, and, and it's an incredible scripture because it gives us a little bit, a little bit more insight, and that's what all the Gospels are about. They give us more insight as you read all of them and put them and read them all in perspective. But Luke 19, 28 to 40 says this. And when he had thus spoken, he went before them, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount Count Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village over against you and which you're entering, you shall find a cold tight whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thus shall ye say unto them, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that went sent, went their way and found even as he had said unto them. Remember, Jesus knows all things before they ever happen. And it's very clear here. Just as Jesus has said, they found these donkeys. And as they were loosening the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. I love that verse. Because these people are from the bottom of, of their, their belly to the top of their lungs. They're rejoicing and shouting and, and giving God praise. You know, it reminds me of going to a football game and how people are so excited at a baseball game or at a football game. When a touchdown or, or base is scored or a runner comes in, uh, this is the way if you're a Christian, we should act. We should be happy. We should be rejoicing. We should not be afraid to praise God with a loud voice because he is alive and we know that. Um, verse 38 of Luke 19 says the saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace be in 
heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, just like Jesus at the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word is Elohim. Remember, it's more than one. And God made man in his image. But what he did is he took dirt, he took clay, and he breathed, and he brought out life. Jesus could have done that with the stones. He could have breathed life into them, and they could have, and they would have began to praise them. See, today's your opportunity to praise God if you're a believer, to, to shout for the joy of your salvation and what he's done in your life. And if you don't know him, today could be the first day of eternity for you. You can say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be that blessed king. Restore me, God. I believe you You died for my sins and you rose on a third day. Be my God, my Lord, and my Savior. And if you just prayed that and you believe that from this day forth, you can be the new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That is powerful. The stones would begin to cry out had he told his disciples to be quiet. And as we continue back in the book of John, in John chapter 12, um, it's interesting in verse uh, 14, 12, 14, uh, that it says, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat therein, and is just written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, the king cometh sitting on ass cold. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. They knew that he was the crown king because they remembered what they had gone through. The people, therefore, that was with him, he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. So all those that saw that great miracle can bear record of this. Listen, if Jesus had not performed these miracles. If Jesus had not done any of these things, there would have been such an uproar that he would have been, he would have been marked as, as a false Messiah. But there was so much proof that Jesus did this. And that's why today we still worship him. Many people now will tell you, the Bible's changed. It doesn't say the same thing. The Bible is still the word of God. When you go back and look at manuscripts and the way it was written, you see that we got what they wrote. Verse 17 says this, the people therefore that was with him when he had called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him for they had heard that he had done this miracle. And the fairies therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Total jealousy. The world has gone after him. They didn't care. They, they knew that everything he was doing pointed to him being the Messiah. But, but when you have money, when you have prestige, it's very difficult to give that up. You may be in that position, but life is short. And the reality is that you and I are going to die one day if Jesus doesn't come before, come back before then. Today you have an opportunity to, to ask him into your heart. As we continue, verse 20 says this, And there were certain Greeks among them and came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was at Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew telleth Jesus. You know what's happening? The world is beginning now to recognize what is about to take place. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to know what he was about. Listen, if you just tuned in, this is Freedom with Adam Riojas, and we're going through the book of John. And thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this lesson. I believe that it's not a coincidence that you're listening now. I believe that God wants you to know these truths. And in John 12, 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It is upon me. Barely, barely, I say unto you, except a corn and wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hated his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Those are some powerful words. Let me tell you why those are powerful words, because there's a metaphor that a fruit or a corn, um, a vegetable must die in order to produce a seed that then produces fruit, that then produces life. And that's what he's talking about. Now, throughout Scripture, Paul wrote about some of the same concept. In Romans 12, 1, it's, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, by the my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, it says this, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says this, As unknown yet well known, as dying, and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Galatians 2 20 and 21 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. 2 Timothy 2, 11, 12 says this, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also Live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he shall also deny us. And one of my favorite verses that I like is 1 Corinthians 15. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. Die daily to the selfishness of the world. Die daily to the madness that that rages within the theater of our mind. And as we continue... In 1226 of John, it says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's glorious. That's heaven. That's eternity with Jesus. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify the name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified and I will glorify it again. The people, people therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes, so that you would know. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast, cast out. What is that? mean cast out does he cast out he was already cast out of heaven and there's still a realm where he still has access to where he's the accuser of man but this is what it means when you read colossians 2 14 and 15 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphant them in it you know why he triumphed for the preaching of the cross is in that perish foolishness, foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God for it is written. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And as we continue in first Corinthians, it says this for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That is powerful. Look what it says this. And if I be lifted up from the earth, in verse 32, will draw all men unto me. You know, if you have time, read Numbers um, 21, 7 to 9, when the serpents were, were biting and killing those that had become disobedient, that had come up against Moses. And what happened is, is Moses 
had a serpent put on a pole and lifted up. And all those that looked on him were healed. Jesus is saying, look at me. Look at what I did in the cross and be healed. Be healed. This he said, signifying with death he should die. The people has answered him. We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness be upon you. For he that walketh in darkness know not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light that you may be the children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. It, it just it makes perfect sense when you read Psalms 119 verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what Jesus does. I, I want to thank you so much for listening to the show today. God be glorified. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. Levi, uh, will you please close us out in prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray for anyone who, through listening to this, gave their life to you, Lord, that they would grow in you. Uh, Lord, that they would just come to know you in a deep, intimate way. We pray for... The families of those who uh, have loved ones serving, keep them, keep your angels around them, protect them. We pray for our military, Lord God, that you would continue to stir up a revival in them and that they would come to know you and serve you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Listen, if this show affected you in any way, we want to hear from you. You can reach us at at thecrossoceanside.com, freedom at adamrealhouse.com, 2112 South El Camino. Oceanside, California, 254 We love you and we want to thank you for listening. May God richly bless you and protect you and his face shine upon you. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thanks for listening to Freedom with Adam Riojas. If you'd like to contact Adam, email him at freedom at adamriojas.com. Make sure to tune in next week at 5 p.m. here on K-Praise. If you missed a show, go to your favorite podcast provider and search Freedom with Adam Riojas. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.